So we are located heading towards the foot of Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. And the idea of walking means that we have the capacity to change our location. And when you change your location, in other words, walking is a physical manifestation of the idea of change. Your legs are the mechanism whereby you're able to alter your present state and find yourself in a completely different place, physically. And therefore, the notion of emotional growth is also con- is comparable to walking. And the notion of intellectual understanding is comparable to walking. In other words, if a person wants to progress from one point, whether it be physically in his location, to a destination, walking is a mechanism of getting him there. And his legs are his transporting system. If a person wants to move emotionally from one state to another, so there's also an emotional kind of walking. And if a person wants to move intellectually from a certain understanding to a deeper one, so the point of departure would be his initial concept and his walk will be to arrive at deeper and deeper levels of understanding. And the Torah itself uses the verb walk to describe this when it describes and you should walk within my statutes. And the Rashi and the Maral together suggest what this means is that a person has to intellectually progress from his initial understanding to an ever deeper understanding. So we're also on a walk from Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the Exodus, to Mount Sinai. And that walk has a certain geography, landscape, that occurs as we make that journey. The difference is, the landscape is very difficult to spot. When we're walking and we're going on a hike out in nature, so unless a person is blind, he can see what's going on around him. And if all these senses are active, so then you won't only see, but you'll feel and you'll smell and you'll hear, and the experience will be one of, he'll take in the environment in every one of its details. If a person knows how to hike, so that you become deeply present in the process so it's transformational because you feel your footsteps crunching on the fresh grass you have this wide array of colors, shades dimensions shapes that you're looking at the sounds of nature of the birds of the trees get into your ears, the different smells the feel of the breeze upon your hands. It becomes a transformational moment when you're involved in that process of walking. When you're fully, 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 deeply embedded in the process, in that experience. So we want to learn, we want to walk from Harasinai. And we want to be able to smell and feel and hear and see the landscape from whatever that spiritual landscape is. But what would happen if we take a person 
for a walk in the most exotic destination and he's blind, deaf, dumb, has no sense of smell and he's got a problem with his tactile receptors that he can't feel. So it will be a non-experience. It will be a non-experience because if you could communicate afterwards he was given the gift of speech and you would have asked him and said, well, how was that? He said, it was nothing. He'll say, it was nothing. What did you see? Nothing. What did you feel? Nothing. What did you experience? Nothing. So when we walk from from Mitzrayim to Sinai today, so it's very hard to, to have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Do I feel, do I feel the the Gvura Shebenetzach today that's what's interesting about Sresa Oymer Sresa Oymer we have the landscape described to us the landscape landscape stated each day we told well this is what you're going to see today first day is Chesed Shebechesed did you see this unbridled energy of kindness exploding into the universe. The second day is that kindness, that love becomes contained. The next day is and it becomes balanced. So we told, we told, we told. But reading those ideas is analogous to the professor of art. There's a professor of art and he's so, so well read. I mean, he knows everything. He can describe to the quality of the paint used by a given painter from 300 years ago, to his technique in composition, to the history, to who commissioned him to paint the painting. He's got it all down pat. You could speak to him hours about any painting. And then you've got the janitor. The man that goes and walks around the gallery and uh, takes care of the paintings and cleans them and, and sees them and looks at them. And you've got the janitor and the professor. Well, who's got a deep experience of the paintings? Well, of course, the professor, but there's a problem, you see. The professor's blind. So he knows everything about the paintings. He's just never seen them. So you can speak about them and speak about them and speak about them and answer questions about but he's never seen the painting. And the janitor doesn't have any of the background, but he's seen the paintings. So who's got a deep experience of the paintings? <laughs> the janitor. So what are we? We're professors of Judaism. We speak about it and speak about it and speak about it. But we don't have the eyes to see nor the ears to hear. So what happens is, over the course of time, we kind of ask ourselves a question. We say, well, well, who are we kidding? How many more times can I vomit up a vort which I just feel is describing a reality that just I don't belong to? I can't experience that reality. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, what do we experience over Pesach? Did we experience this incredible rescue from complete servitude and bondage to absolute eternal freedom? Cherus Olam? 
Or to say, oh, it was great, I got together these people, they were matzah balls, and we had kind of scoffed down huge amounts of matzah and lettuce, and you know, and like I'm describing these. And then what happens is, this is the irony, then you'll have those same people that, if you ask them, what did they experience? They'll say, it was, it was, yeah, it was you know, a bit long, or a bit short, or, you know, nice singing, and the wine was good. And, and then you say to them afterwards, well, tell me a little bit about Pesach. And then they'll, they'll go and they'll say, well, Pesach, you don't understand. Pesach is the revelation of the soul. And you say, so, but what, 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 were you, what were you doing? I was doing Pesach. And what were you saying? Uh, Pesach. So where's the connection? Where's the connection? Oh, there is no connection. Why? Because I'm the professor. I'm not the janitor. I just speak about the theory of things. But Jesus, Torah is called Torah. Torah is not called Chochmah. Chochmah is intellect, it's wisdom. Torah is called instructions. It's, 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 it's practical, it's, it's experiential. So I think one of our deepest problems is we don't experience Torah. We speak about the experience of Torah. We discuss it, we analyze it. But do we live it? Not completely. And when it comes to this period of time of so it almost stares us in the face that every day many people say these fillers of the particular energy that's present in the world quite frankly what do you feel more today than you felt yesterday <laughs> yeah of course my word today is a different world different world God, compared to that I just I remember that I remember the Tiferes week whoa there was something yeah, there was really something. Whoa! No, Cornish, what is it? These are just days. They're just bland days. Why? Because we don't have ears, we don't have eyes, we don't have noses. We don't, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not there. we're not in there. We're not in there. We're not, we're not actually, we, we're in there, but we don't have the senses to appreciate it. So that's a bit of a, something to, to strive to work on. How do we work on that? Where does the work begin? Step number one is, please, please, be real with yourself. And don't talk yourself into thinking that the theories you are espousing are the experiences that you are having. You've got theories, you like the ideas, but the ideas aren't, aren't what you're feeling, you're feeling something else. So be honest with yourself about what you're experiencing. If you're not honest with yourself, so then... You can't really move forward because you're delusional. If you, no, you try to work with a person on moving forward in their life and they've got a, a delusional understanding of where they are, so you can't even begin. First of all, I have to say, once again, let's see where you are. Let's disagree to the objective nature of where you're actually occupying yourself. Hey, you want something? Good. So step number one is be real with yourself. Be real with yourself. Now, being real with yourself, and this is a complicated point. And this is something that the, the, it's interesting. One of the works which discusses the meditative process explicitly is a sefer called Sefer Maspik Loiv Dashem. It's a sefer written by the son of the Rambam, Avraham ben Rambam. And he writes his book. And what's fascinating is, of course, the part on it. meditation is fascinating but what's even for me more gripping is the introduction 
because in the introduction to the book he differentiates between two kinds of mitzvahs the generic and the specific the global and the individual and he says there's a certain level of mitzvahs which are global they're global mitzvahs how do they operate? well they operate like instructions like you know you can't say ah I don't know I don't feel like Kashrus today it's not not speaking to me Kashi doesn't speak to me today. So it doesn't make a difference. If the Kashi speaks to not buddy, that's global. You like it, you don't like it, you're in the mood, you're not in the mood. Lomashane <laughs> makes a difference. Today I feel that today for me Krishna is a little bit early. It's a little bit early. Forget Krishna today. No, it doesn't matter. You think it's a little bit early. Now he says as follows. Understanding the nature of pure contractual obligation to mitzvahs is step one. You're never going to aspire to any spiritual height when the basic contractual obligation is not fulfilled. For spiritual greatness, you need to start off with a subscription to the basic components, which means I keep the mitzvahs and I don't do the vayus. Why? It doesn't matter. Mood, good, good mood, bad mood, no difference. That's, that's our foundation point. When a person doesn't have that, so he says, every spiritual level you'll attain thereafter will be a castle built in the sky and will dis- disintegrate within milliseconds because there's nothing to support it. It doesn't have a structure. So now, that's perhaps where, which is encouraging for us, that's perhaps where we're strengthening ourselves and that's what we're doing. We're embracing the contractual obligation at this point in time. Contractual obligation means whatever it says, understand it, don't understand it, feel it, don't feel it, want it, don't want it, irrelevant. It's doing. That's called contract. You know a contract, you enter into a contract with someone, you know, you, I, I know, Gary, you, did you used to work? Even when you're in a bad mood? Like what happened? Like why did you do that? Why didn't you say, listen, sorry, I'm not coming in today, I want to just go out and chill, I want to go play golf today. Why can't you? That's it, you can't. You know what I'm saying? There's a contractual obligation. You feel, I'm not in the mood for it. I don't care if you're in the mood for it. Would your boss care if you're in the mood for it? No, it wouldn't be that sympathetic. We've entered into a deal. Nice admission. Sorry? Nice admission. Nice admission. Nice admission. Nice is the first place. Then he says, then there's another level. On that level, so everyone, there's no, there's no differentiation. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you are. Chayev. You're obligated. Then there's a level beyond that. The level beyond it is that when I start to discover the individuality in the mitzvahs, then I start to find my own personal, what's called my own personal chalik in the mitzvahs. Once it's down, so then, then I find that, of course I'm keeping Shabbos, but it could be, for me, I can put my personality into Shabbos. How do I do that? Well, say for example, I happen to be a great cook. So I can use my culinary art to completely transform the Shabbos table. And only I can do that. Someone else who doesn't have that skill may do something else. They may have a beautiful voice. They'll transform the atmosphere of the table by singing. Someone else will maybe have um, a fantastic sense of interior, interior design. And they'll design the room on Shabbos differently to the week to bring out some type of royalty in the day. So then, in that aspect, there's enormous scope for personal expression in mitzvahs. 
provided it's the second stage after the initial acceptance. And then, that's when the exciting stuff starts to develop. Then you can delve into the deeper dimension of the mitzvahs, and then you discover even more. So to recap, here we are, plodding along from Egypt to Sinai. How do we feel? Well, unless we're extremely sensitive and special, we probably feel zero. How should we feel about feeling zero? We should feel great. Because right now we're in the midst of sealing our contractual, living up to our contractual obligation. So there's nothing wrong with not feeling anything at the initial stage, provided we understand the nature of who we are and what we are and what we're trying to do. But now let's try and move a bit further, because it would be nice to feel, wouldn't it? I mean, they tell us about these, like, you know, it's, it's like you're walking, and they say, open your eyes, because you're actually not blind. You think you're blind, but open your eyes. Because if you open your eyes, you'll see a landscape and a vista that you could never possibly imagine. So I say, okay, I'm going to try. And they will see, it's not so hard, it's not so easy to open your eyes. It's not so easy to open your eyes. So we want you just briefly play around with is what, how do we learn to open up our eyes so that we can see spirituality? Because I think if we could have an experiential connection to Torah, so then that would be quite transformational. Even though it's not, it's not a stipulation, you can do without it, but certainly it's a completely different form of life. So let's begin by perusing the Maharal and how he describes in the Siva Torah the idea of Torah and then we'll have to we'll have to try instead of speaking about the painting let's try to look at the painting and that's going to be challenging but life's about challenges Hello. yo are you talking about <coughs> like tapping into the energy that's there we just don't have a bit to do at this point yeah, it's, uh, no, do you feel that you're tapping into the energies of the spheres? No, but I'd like to. Me too. So I, I, I must say, I, I, I do think to, to a very... To, it's, it's accessible. Obviously, there's degrees and degrees. But I think it's accessible to every one of us. I don't think we have to think that the spiritual world will always just remain this theoretical thing that people discuss. It's a painting that we talk about and theorize about and it's not the thing itself. So shall we try that? Let's do it. It says Maral Vyurani. He quotes from the Apostle in Proverbs, Shloma Melech, Vyurani, and he and he taught me Vyurani and he said, Becha. My words will support your heart. Shmo Mitzvaisai, God my mitzvahe and you'll live. So this is a quote from Mishlei. And what the Maral is going to do is he's going to try to delve into what Shleim HaMelech meant with these words. It says the Maral, Shleim HaMelech Olav HaShalem Ratzo L'Hazir Esa Adam HaTorah He wanted to describe people what Torah is. V'Omar And he says, K'ashe Nosin HaTorah L'Adam Since Hashem gave Torah to man Hashem said to man, My words will support your heart. The Torah, which is Hashem's words, will support your heart. 
does it mean support your heart? Kileva Adam Shamachaim. The heart of a man, that's where the life is. That's where that's the most open metaphor for the source of life. The Torah will make your life life. And give you life. Keep my mitzvah in your life. What is he talking about? What in the world is he talking about? Torah and life in your heart. He seems to say as follows. First of all, there's a massive, massive thing that perhaps we don't understand. That we have the Torah. It's quite incomprehensible if we'd stop and pause to think what that means. And think about what would be if there would be you're interested in a particular field of information. And okay, tell me about one of your heroes. Andre Agassi, the tennis player. Okay, so uh, Andre Agassi, he he says, listen. He says he calls you in. Says he got your name from one of your good friends, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you a a week's worth of personal training. How would you feel about that? How would you relate to? the words that you say to you and the lessons that you teach you. You'd probably like hang on every word, right? And you'd focus on everything you did because you realize this is really precious because someone has got something that I need and he's got it in his best form and he's giving it to me. So I would like I'd hang on to his every word because you appreciate it so much. Yosef, tell me one of your heroes. Oh, man. Uh, Rav Uziel. Rav Uziel? Yeah. Who's Rav Uziel? He was a Christian Sion, like in the 30s. Rav Uziel? Yeah. Okay, how did he become your hero? Um, just, he was very, you know, just the way he related to people was very inspirational. He wasn't, he was very open and approachable. Now, Rav Uziel calls you into his office mm. and he says, Yosef, I'm going to teach you the secret of how to connect to people. Mm. And he gives you a week's notice that he's going to call you in. How would you feel building up to that meeting? I would be on edge the entire week. I'd be waiting for the week to be over. What would you take with you to the meeting? No pick. And when you sat there in front of him, how would you feel? Um, a bit nervous, probably. And when you began to speak, how would you take in his words? Of listening. Very Intently, good. right? Yeah. Imagine if you'd turn up to that meeting distractedly, and while he's talking, you'd be playing on your phone. <laughs> that would be absurd, right? Right. It'd be absurd. Because when you have something of extreme value, so then you, you hang on to it. Now, how valuable is it to her? Let's think. The information that Hashem shares with us. How valuable is this? And now you see how, how difficult this is to actually experience. So the Gemara says, 
everything, anything in the world is not equal. Not, not everything, 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 everything in the world can equal one word of Torah. Which means that even though it could be a Vuzel if, if he's teaching you Torah, so then that's Torah. But certainly a Gassi, a year of tennis lessons, isn't equal to the first word in the eighth paragraph of the of Gemaragitim when you say Hazorek. Boom, that's more precious. That's more precious. So now do you see how experientially far away we are from Torah. Because for us, Hazorek is cheap. It's not expensive. Because we approach the Gemara, approach it, yum, yum, yum. Do I, do I relate to it as if it's like, whoa. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, like it's kind of, it's almost as if, okay, God, I'm here. Okay, look at me. I'm doing you a favor by being here. Now imagine, let's try, let's switch it out the other way around. You're a gassy, right? And you realize that out of your benevolent kindness, you've, you know, even though I'm sure Gary J is a fantastic tennis player, but I don't know if he's, you know, professional yet. And you think you're going to do a master chesed for him and you're going to invite him in. Imagine how you'd feel when Gary J turns up to the tennis lesson and you say, okay, um, did you bring your record? He goes, oh gosh, no, I forgot my record. Can I borrow one of yours? So he goes, okay. And then like, as, as you, he's about to start, you say, oh, sorry, I'm, I've got a call. Do you mind? <laughs> so I just got, and then like, you, know, you sit there on the phone for 20 minutes and then you say, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, okay, we can start now. Okay. So he's thinking to himself, who's doing her favor? Who's doing, who's, who's doing the favor here? It's an amazing thing that, that experientially, I think that's a lot of us, a lot of the times that's how we feel. We feel we doing a favor for God for actually turning up and saying, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Aren't I great? You know, I'll give you some of my time. And therefore, when you've got that attitude, so then it's really every little bit you do is like so, you know, so, so, so kind. It's like if you take off 20 minutes for a phone call, so, okay, um, you know, I didn't have to be in the first place. You know, just be, be happy that I'm here. Exact opposite to the way it should be. So now, that means as follows. That apart from the actual study of Torah, what I've just described is called Kovod HaTorah, the honor of Torah. The honor of Torah means how much weight do I give the experience? And that's a crucial part of Torah crucial part of time. How crucial is it? It could be that that could even be one of the essential parts of Torah because this is what happened in the time of the destruction of the first temple. The the prophets, the wise men, had no idea what went wrong. You know, normally there's there's a spiritual cause and effect. When a tragedy occurs, so there's uh, there's something behind that tragedy occurring. And they this base Migdor base sorry, gets destroyed and no one has a clue what happened. They just can't get it. So they go and ask the wise men. and they say, the first one? First one. They go ask the wise men and they say, I don't know. We don't know. So they ask the prophets. Ah, the prophets don't know. Until they ask Hashem himself. And he says the most ridiculous answer. He says, because they didn't make the bracha on Torah. Hello? There's a lot worse things that you could have done, right? You could have worshipped the idols. You could have murdered. You could have not made the bracha to no, no. What's so bad about that? So the Ran explains, quoting the Rebbeinu Yoyna, that it's not that they. The point was they didn't make the bracha on the Torah. 
The point was, they didn't think the Torah is valuable that you needed to make a bracha on it. They felt it was, it was important to learn, but there was a modicum of small lack of respect, lack of honor. It wasn't, it wasn't crucial. It wasn't, it wasn't like, Asher bochar mikol ho'amin. Asher bochar mikol, mikol ho'amin. Every nation. Every nation. Do you know, this is an amazing thing. Look at the division of the world religions. I just recently saw a pie chart. 32% Christian. Can't remember anymore. 70, 22% I think Muslim. Then there's like, you know, Hindus and Buddhists. And then there's like, there's like this tiny sliver. 0.01% Jewish. It's, like it's, it's, it's actually irrelevant. There's like a bigger group of like, you know, everyone who's like, unaf- there's like every, everything's bigger than this like slither. Tiny little slither in the pie. Shebuch Abon, Mikol, 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 I mean, billions and billions of people. And you've got this like minute little nation. And of all of them, Hashem said, yeah, you have this. It's only for you. It's only for you. No one else is, no one else is privy to this. So they didn't say that bracha. It's nice. It's because I enjoy learning. It's nice. But wasn't this? Wow. Wow. Uziel's got secrets to tell you. Imagine if you could have an appointment with God. Say, listen, Yosef, I've got some stuff I'd like to share with you. God. Every single time you open up a safer and learn, every single time you open up your Gemara, you've now entered into a dialogue with the creator of the universe. And he's telling you secrets. I think that's quite valuable. We have to awaken that value inside of ourselves. Because if we don't awaken that value inside of ourselves, so then the way we'll behave and the way we'll learn and the way we'll do everything thereafter will correspond to our lack of appreciation. Okay, you know, so I'm bored, so I'm not going to do it today, or I'm tired, or I'm... We have to learn how to experience that. So now this becomes challenging, right? Because what happens if the information the wisdom that Hashem is sharing with me, I don't actually find relevant. <laughs> yeah, it's all well and good. You know, if I'm interested in, you know, if, if the Rebbein Shalom would come down from Sinai and tell me how to play the best game of tennis, <laughs> I'd listen with all ears. <laughs> Give me some, you know, some, some tips on like how to work the markets. <laughs> imagine, imagine like going to God and how to work the, I mean, he's the one that controls them, he knows. That would be, no, that would be, that would be, you'd probably have like, you know, even like the staunchest, staunchest stock market atheist would be willing to, yeah, you know, like, because he realizes there's ultimately it's God. <laughs> so imagine, imagine that kind of the, the so the, there's where the problem starts to begin. In other words, the problem is that, okay, so we've got God, God telling us stuff. So let's say I overcome all the obstacles and now it says God coming. So I say, everybody, sorry, if you're going to come talk to me, I really am not interested in hearing about getting. I mean, I mean, it's not what I'm interested in. So, so, so even though I appreciate who you are and appreciate what you're telling me, but you know, can we change the topic? 
So now we have to, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so, it's not, so now we have to work on that. Can we change the topic? So now, when a person gets involved in a relationship, or when a person starts to awaken, two things, in relationships and in, in the emotional and intellectual world, the way a person grows is by coming out of himself, leaving his selfish shell and being able to see a world beyond himself. As long as we're caught up in our own small prison of self, so we remain extremely, extremely limited. And the walls which keep us inside are, in the intellectual sense, our lack of interest beyond a given group of subject matter. We've got interest. Everyone's got the interest. So when you know someone's when someone's just speak to me about something that I find interesting. Mm, what do you find interesting, Mordecai? Not much, eh? Harry, what do you find interesting? I like science. You like science. Great. So when someone comes to speak to you about science, then you're all ears. And someone else said, I would like to speak to you about cooking. And you go, oh my gosh, <laughs> cooking. So therefore, you're, you're closed down. There's a, there's a boundary there. It doesn't go that far. Someone comes and says, I'd like to speak to you about art. So, artist, you're joking. Do you understand? So therefore, you... There's, there's a limit. They're small. Um, if you're a bit bigger, so then more things grasp your attention. If you're very big, so then you become what's called hachochem. What's a chochem? Chochem. It's ezu chochem. Haloi made me call Adam. He learns from everyone. His interests span the entire spectrum of the world. So everything is fascinating to him. That's called intellectual growth. We start off with only be interested in very small things, and then we say, I mean, you know, things are fascinating. Things are fascinating. Something which is like, I mean, okay, it's a very basic question, but I completely am, I have no idea how, how that works. We breathe in air. The air goes through the trachea, down into the lungs, through the, 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 the bronchioli, into, deep into our lungs. And we breathe it in in the form of air. And somehow that air then, that the air, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide is sent out through our mouths. I don't know how that works, like what happened there. And, and, then, and then that oxygen, oxygen then oxygenates the blood that's pumped from the right chamber of the heart into the lungs and then it goes back into the left chamber in the heart so it can be circulated through the body. Now this sounds like quite a complex process. It's fascinating how this gas suddenly becomes into the bloodstream and then releases the energy for the... I mean, that's... Is that, is that okay? Is that scientific enough? But, that's what, but, but, but the truth is, but the truth is, what's also interesting, what's also interesting is the whole advent of how art progressed from, let's say, the Impressionists to Suzanne and the post-impressionist and then eventually landing onto the Cubists. 
other cubists, you know, Picasso with cubism, he is really challenging our perception of reality. That why should it be that when I see a given object, I know that the object which is three-dimensional has another side to it that I can't see. So why can't my knowledge be imported into the visual sense and I'll present the back of the object at the same time as the front? It's quite interesting. And then when I think about cooking, I love cooking. Because cooking is this, 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 it's, it's this practical science which fuses emotions and a whole range of cognitive skills with aesthetic sense and cooking is like it's, a, it's an adventure and anything, anything um, let's continue next week and it's